today's topic is lessons learned from the other side. Uh, if I want to be Halloweeny, uh, maybe the dark, dark side. side. Yeah, <laughs> the dark side. Uh, SaaS, so software as a service. Um, software as a service uh, companies have changed the game in many, many ways. I think many of us have um, dabbled in SaaS um, or worked in, in SaaS a little bit throughout our careers, but. Uh, Really, you know, you think about tools like HubSpot, Metadata, CallRail, Slack, Asana, Salesforce, just to name a few. They've transformed our working lives, right? And beyond that, these companies have also been at the head of the pack when it comes to innovating marketing tactics. Um, they're a little bit more comfortable and, and, and willing to test things out, it seems like, than uh, some other industries. So being manufacturing marketers, we know how unique the industrial space can be though. And that means that we often find ourselves asking, you know, like what lessons from these other industries like SaaS actually apply to what we're doing? And, um, you know, what's worth trying in the first place? So enter our guest today. We've got a familiar face. We're all so excited to have Matthew Chanella joining us today. Um, he is a director of demand gen at Refine Labs. And uh, yeah, Matt, we're super stoked because Matt actually was a founding uh, host of Industrial Marketing Live back in, oh Lord, probably 2020. 2020. I mean, come on, it wasn't that that long ago. Jeez. Feels like forever, right? 2020 was a rough year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Matt, uh, we are so happy you're here. Thanks for joining us. Um, anything else you want to say before we jump into the topic? Uh, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm super excited. Uh, first off, I'm, I'm really happy to see industrial marketing live is still super alive and well, and there's just a lot of, a lot of great energy and a lot of people here who are all about being better at their job and really elevating the profession in an industry where it doesn't get its due, in my opinion, and is not emphasized as what it should be, which is uh, a way for companies to acquire customers at a more efficient cost at the end of the day. So uh, yeah, just real happy to see uh, a real uh, a real live crew here today. And also just super happy to see um, a lot of uh, the strategists uh, at Gorilla who uh, to to uh, who I, I left behind, for lack of a better word, uh, keeping this thing going and, and making it uh, as good as it's been. So yeah, just real happy to be here. Awesome. Well, Matt, um, I think our first question is really just, you know, you transitioned to SaaS from the industrial space. Um, how was that? <laughs> How's yeah. it going? Um, so honestly, it was not as difficult i mean so it it, it was difficult so th there were a lot of there were a lot of hard things to learn you're asked to do um things differently in saas than you are in um in industrial first off the revenue model is different it's recurring revenue you're looking at arr added every year instead of like what most people would be here which would be capex or like or acv essentially like the contract value or the project value if you're do something that's super custom made but um but yeah i mean the transition was not as difficult. There are actually some things in industrial that I, I like a little bit more. Uh, I, I love the freedom a little bit more to kind of just pursue things as you as you need to do it. Uh, there's a lot 
more functions and departments in place in, in SaaS. And so you find yourself not wanting to step on other departments' toes as much. So there's like field marketing and there's demand gen and there's content and sometimes there's comms or PR. And so, you know, if you're like, a, if you're an all-rounder, which a lot of people in this are, one thing that uh, I struggle with a little bit is just not wanting to get my claws into other departments of marketing for, for clients where I know they need help. So I have a couple of clients where uh, the content is just really not uh, as strong as I as I think it could be, especially given the amount of subject matter expertise they have, and as uh, as good as the product is, frankly, like they could really be doing a nice job with content if they wanted to focus on it. But instead, they'd rather work with analyst firms and do you know total economic impact reports with Forrester and then gate it and then try to run like a really lazy. Uh, follow-up effort around it. So you see a lot of bad practices um, in software, um, whereas in industrial, like you see no practices sometimes because these people don't really have much of a belief or process behind it. So at least instead of trying to like untangle something that's like really bad and, and you know you need to untangle it, at least you're starting from ground zero a little bit in industrial. So you get to take a kind of startup, you know, build it from the ground up, build the plane as you fly it mentality. And so that's that's sometimes a little comforting. What do you like more about uh, about SaaS? Um, I love the I love the budget. I'm not going to lie. Like you actually get money to pursue things as you want. People don't aren't reviewing the ad cost that you're spending every month. Like it's every single penny has to be accounted for, and you have to get a maximum ROI out of it. It's it's a lot more trust and like, hey, we're, this takes time to burn. It takes you know. There's this expectation in industrial, and I know this because I worked I worked here at Gorilla. I've done industrial marketing live. I've worked with some of the clients that are still with Gorilla, and I've talked to some of you all multiple times. Um, there's this expectation when you launch marketing programs that it's going to go from zero to 130 days. You know, and it just it doesn't work that way. You know. You're not going to launch a new program, even if that program is something is as you know tactical as Google Ads. You're not going to get it from like stage one up to stage four or five, where it's like, hey, we're rolling. We got thirty leads a month coming in here at about two fifty per. We're putting them to cut. We're getting the opportunity at like you know 10, 15%. That doesn't happen in the first thirty days. There's like an iterative process to all these programs that you all are launching. Um, and the expectation setting, I think, is really important, but it's executives having to understand as well, when you launch programs, they're just not going to be there um, in the first 30, 60, even 90 days. Case in point, I have one client we were running, who we ran Google Ads for. They were a client who were not successful running it previously. And the first 30 days, we spent $7,000 on Google Ads, and we had absolutely zero conversions. <laughs> so I was like, don't worry, all right? Like, we're, 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 we're dialing this in and figuring out. We were seeing keywords show up that we didn't like. We were seeing a lot of, we were, we were looking at some of the traffic that they had. They had a, a, a lot of people who were coming from their website directly and then going to the login page of the website because they had a login function. So we immediately created it and like, an, a click event to exclude people who clicked the login page. And then instantly the traffic got a lot better. We mm -hmm. went to exact match on a lot of keywords. Um, we started to like dial back a little bit on some of the other keyword ad groups. We were seeing things that were not firmographic fits. And magically in the last 30 days, they have 14 conversions total across all, all of their ad groups. So it's, you know, you can't look at things in the 30 day timeframe and make a snap decision on it. It's something that's going to be a continuum 
Um, and it's just, you know, in SaaS, there's more understanding that things take time to, to scale mm. up and get to that point of critical mass. Whereas in industrial, people are very quick to look at some, as a $7,000 spend over a 30-day time period, not see anything, and just decide it's not going to work. Yeah. Mm. So you talked a little bit whenever we were preparing for this conversation about some new ideas that have kind of come into the mix um, or maybe ideas that you've developed a little bit further. And one of those was, it sounds like you're kind of already talking about this with Google ads is like, it's a program, right? And it takes time to develop, but even with um, just like your perspective on programs in general, like I think the way that we've talked about it here at Gorilla's, you know, channels almost like this is a channel, you know, um, that you're getting um, business return on. How do you look at just like structuring your marketing programs overall and like, what's your approach? Yeah. So this is something we're pushing a lot at Refine Labs. Some people may have heard Chris talk about it, but like the concept of revenue R&D, this actually dovetails really nicely into a lot of things manufacturing. Because I think about it a lot when I worked in welding, right? Because when we were when we were doing new product development, like we were developing a new fume extraction system and a new fume extraction gun. Well, that's a process that takes a year, right? It takes a year to like you know get things from design and concept to prototype to to like you know testing internally to then having a couple of of like core users who you can go out in the field and test it with. They can give it a trial run in, a, in an industrial environment. And then eventually it's ready for market and you're ready to put, you know, dollars behind it, get it to your distributors, have your sales team do live demos with it. But that whole process takes, you know, eight to 12 months. So when you think about program R&D and, or, or product R&D and how long it takes to get a program from idea to, okay, we're up selling it in the market, you know, that's a long process that can take months. Sometimes it can take years, depending on how complex the product is. So we're taking an approach at Refine. We look at revenue programs in the same vein. And so there's like, uh, you know, there's phase one to phase five and even phase zero, which is simply just the idea of like, hey, we want to try this. What would it look like? And, you know, companies in manufacturing will spend a lot of money to develop a product. They'll put it through a lot of tests. They'll put it through a lot of iterations. They'll intentionally break it, you know, for durability testing and stuff like that before it gets out. But when companies think about revenue programs, they often uh, don't have a structure behind it. And so they just kind of throw a lot of stuff against the wall. They don't really have phase gates for it to get from phase one to phase two to phase three. And so a lot of things peter out in that phase one, phase two area overall. So um, so our approach really with revenue is like, you're going to start a program like a live event, like doing LinkedIn ads, like doing Google ads, like doing, um, you know, like doing, like doing SEO, for instance, these are all programs that you're doing within your marketing. They cost money. Yes. SEO costs money. It costs time and manpower and backlinking and all the things around it. Um, so you you kind of have that as an idea and an approach. And even sales, outbound sales or SDRs, that's also like a program. Like don't don't discount your sales programs or your partner referral programs. So if you look at um, so if if you look at like everyone should have everyone here in the industrial, because your company is probably very sales-led, your all sales motion should probably be like in that stage five, stage four area. 
your marketing programs are probably like in that stage one or stage two, but the stages like stage one is like, it's an idea. Let's test it. Let's see positive signals. Let's see, you know, quote requests coming in or something like that. Phase two, it's, hey, let's see, you know, a certain amount of these quote requests turn into, um, like, uh, turn into opportunities. Phase three, it's, okay, we're consistently creating these opportunities every month or every quarter at a certain dollar amount. Phase four, we're able to repeatably do that for ourselves. And phase five, we've operationalized it and we have process behind it. Now, to get from phase one to phase five, it could take you 12 to 18 months. You know, you just have to have, and, and there's no like set time frame. Like it has to do this in a certain amount of time. You're going to just see the spend and you're going to see the, the signals and you're going to see what you're getting out of it. And you'll just know, you'll have a gut feeling of whether or not this is working or not. And, you know, this goes into a whole other bunch of things like setting up the right attribution for yourself in your CRM, which I'm sure we will get into that at some point. But essentially what we're talking about is like putting a phase structure to your marketing budget and your marketing programs and your sales programs for that matter. Like you shouldn't discount that. And then having, you know, a structure in place to get things from an initial phase, which is an idea to a phase where it's repeatable and operationalized for your company. And you can reliably count on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so can you talk about like with the phase approach, Matt, the one thing I don't think I've heard yet, and I probably just missed one of the podcasts, but what is that? Is there like a time um, you know, thing where like go to phase one to phase two, and if it doesn't meet the gate by phase two, that you stop the program. There's no like set time frame. It's ultimately going to vary a lot by company and also spend. You know, if you're spending two thousand dollars a month on Google Ads, you shouldn't expect to like, and you're and you're looking at that to produce like five x income. You shouldn't. You should be giving that a lot of time because you know your spend basically is also your time to iterate because your budget essentially dictates how many swings or at bats you get at it. Right. So yeah, you have to look at it vis-a-vis the budget you have dedicated to that program, and that should give you the more spend you have, the less spend you have, the longer the leash really a program should have because you're ultimately limiting your ability to get feedback loops for yourself. Um, in, in order in order to iterate and, and scale on it. So to me, I don't I wouldn't time box it, although certainly if you look at something and you're six, eight months in and you're getting nothing, like you're not close to moving to the next phase, I think it's at that point like you can have a conversation. But I would not put a set time frame on going from any one one phase to the other. Okay. So I think I'd like to talk about channels now. So can you talk about what channels you saw were the most effective for you? you know, at Binzel and at Gorilla, and then what channels have been most effective for you in SaaS? Yeah. So for me at, at Binzel, the most effective channel for me was just content. Like it was, it was honestly just, just doing, doing SEO um, because there was just, it was such a low bar for my mm-hmm. company overall. We were able to do um, just, you know, basically look at things that were competitive advantage as far as, which really lied in like our consumables and stuff like that, create content around it, we saw things work well in like going direct to the website to read it. We would put, you know, all the different sort of levers in place in order for people to convert from it or go back to a, a pillar page. And then we would repurpose that, do it on YouTube, do the same thing. It's actually funny. Like one of my, uh, one of the video, YouTube videos, I just saw it recently. It's like, I put it out like three or four years ago. It's up, up to 25,000 views. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, feel good. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely like, uh, so it's definitely was it was content content and SEO at Benzel. The other thing that worked well for me then, and you know, it's it's less effective now as a tactic, was just like the lead gen programs, the ebook guides, white papers. Those yeah. were really good for me um, in 20, 2016, 2017. Probably going to be less effective today. Like programs age out; they're less effective in time. 
So, and especially if you don't have a really good program behind it. So like, then I was able to just have, you know, a really comprehensive ebook written by my subject matter expert was able to make it very easy to download. I asked more information than I, than I ever would now, but I got people to download it, had a really good nurture program behind it with additional content, had a little follow-up behind it as well. I wish it would have been better, but it wasn't. Um, and then we were able to get revenue from that. And I certainly oriented that because we sold a lot of products at Benzel. I oriented that around products that I knew were high dollar value. Like the average deal size for our fume extraction products was like about $28,000. So mm -hmm. it was worth it to run a program like that. If yeah. I was trying to run something around our air-cooled mid guns where the average deal size was eight grand, you know, was the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Same thing with our seam trackers. Seam trackers ran thirty to $45,000 a pop. And that's only if you bought one. If you bought two, you were talking 80, 90,000. Yeah. So to me, it was just like, again, you all work in industrial. You guys probably sell a lot of products or have a lot of different SKUs. You have to look at your most profitable, most desirable, um, and 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 basically and, and highest value products you have. And you should really be focusing a lot of your effort around that. Like if you have consumables, like let that be that support content for yourself. But man, you really gotta really gotta start with the product categories you have that produce like you know, like produce sizable contract values for you and, and start there. Cause ultimately you have to, you have to kind of be, um, you, you have to kind of be about what's making money for the company. Uh, so what about, um, at, uh, you know, with refine now, like what programs have driven the most revenue for you at where at refine labs? Um, so far, the things that have driven the most, it's been like Google Ads has been effective for us. Now I've mm -hmm. worked in, a, I'm working in compliance software with one and I'm working in cybersecurity for another. So there's quite a bit of demand yeah. around both of those. So, um, and, and I'm fortunate to work with a couple of companies. One company has a very special product that's very unique. Mm -hmm. uh, they do something called vulnerability management, um, works with across InfoSec and AppSec. So it's a really interesting, very robust product, very enterprise focused. They have some enormous logos. Um, so the ACV is like 150 or the AR is like 100 to 150K. So, you know, it makes yeah. the, you know, the customer acquisition costs pretty withstandable to, to get mm -hmm. one, you know? Um, and unfortunately, like, so so for me, it's been, it's been Google Ads. LinkedIn, with my first couple of clients, uh, like LinkedIn did pretty well for us as well. I had another one that ran, had a Salesforce marketing cloud app um, and that did pretty well, mostly because the, um, the targeting was pretty easy, like member skill, Salesforce marketing cloud. And then we just kind of, we were looking at some of the big four consulting companies and a couple others. So we were able to do pretty easy targeting. That client didn't stay super long for other reasons, but we certainly got them a decent ways going towards their, uh, towards their uh, inbound efforts with that. So those are the things that I've seen working the best for sure. Um, but it's also just mindset, right? Like we're looking mm -hmm. at, again, orienting around the high intent conversion. And we are always looking at the incremental. So like every company that we walk into has a baseline that they're getting in terms of pipeline and ARR from that high intent inbound, you know, that demo mm -hmm. request or that free trial if they're product led. And so we're really looking to grow the incremental for them. So if they're looking at, you know, did a 2 million from their high intent inbound last year, well, they want to get to, to three and a half. So we're responsible for like 60, 50, 60% of that incremental, you know, and they would deem that a success. So a lot of it's expectation setting around goal modeling and stuff like that. And, you know, that's a conversation that you have to, that you have to have with them to understand, okay, how do we measure and define success for ourselves? And what's that North Star metric that we're looking at? And then what's the baseline that we're trying to exceed? And then again, understanding that it's a process overall, but those have been the most effective channels. Okay. In general. 
So quickly, speaking of ARR, so annual recurring revenue, right? Correct. So uh, Luke had a question um, about that because that's a big difference, right? Between SaaS and uh, and just industrial in a lot of ways. So Luke, do you want to unmute? Hello, Matt. Thanks for being here. What's up, man? Thanks. Um, You know, I just, my question was many, most, I don't say all SaaS companies, SaaS companies are (laughs) selling, marketing uh, a subscription, a monthly subscription to a certain number of employees, that's that's a easier number for me to think about. And uh, mm-hmm. I think the many of us industrial marketers, not all, are selling a physical product, whether it's a $100,000 piece of equipment or a $500,000 piece of equipment or, or tool bits or whatever it is. But uh, what's the biggest difference you see in how you market? And is there anything that just crushes it in the SaaS world that you think needs to be copied in sort of the industrial product marketing world. My biggest example that I always think about is your customers or, you know, if I'm, if I'm selling CRM, I can go to a customer and say, Hey, you can try this for a month for free. And if you like it, you know, you kind of give them a taste of what it is. And that's hard to, sometimes that's hard to copy with a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. Yeah. So, I mean, so in, in my example, like most most companies, the companies I work with don't have like a free trial version. Normally what they'll do is something that, I mean, a lot of industrial companies could do, do like a proof of value or a proof of concept, um, which again, might not always be possible if you're selling $100,000, $500,000 piece of machinery. In terms of like what to do that's effective, and I see your question up here, so I'm just going to read it really quickly. I don't, I don't really see a lot in terms of difference. In terms of like, like no matter whether you work in software or you work in industrial, I mean, I know, I know, I saw Jake Hall here. Like, like these people, like your your audience is spending time in like the same places. They're spending time on LinkedIn, or they're spending time on Reddit, or they're spending time on YouTube. Especially for industrial, spending a lot of time on YouTube because they love the visual aspect of it. And so for me, it's it's a lot of like have good content. And distribute it well. I'm freelancing for a welding equipment supplier right now. They sell direct, uh, and and we're running like viral content kind of Facebook ads, basically to to, to like two people with welding related job titles, and they sell direct. So it's a little bit different. But I mean, I have twenty I have twenty conversions on eight hundred dollars spent so far this month, and that's that's a fact. I could like show you my my Facebook ads to show you that. Um, so a lot of it to me is having good content, having a point of view that I think is important. Like this particular client that I'm mentioning is a challenger brand. So like they compete with like big red and big blue Lincoln and Miller. And they're basically, they're basically needling them a lot. Cause like, they know that they're, you know, they're, they have a, a reputation for being a hobbyist brand. And so they're, where they're doing a lot of content where they're kind of like making fun of how Millers are always like broken down or how like they have, we have this like stick we're doing where like the welders like leaving the Miller machine for the, for, for the other machine. And it's, and it's like, and it's like, he's leaving his wife for someone better. So we just, we have, we, we take these like real world sort of concepts and then create content around it and then distribute it out and people people like really react well to it because they relate to it so at the end of the day 
Like, and I tell this even with my software clients who do not always get this either. Content needs to be entertaining and relatable, but also, you know, drive home a larger point. And if you're able to do that and communicate it well, and then if you're able to figure out where your where your target audience is spending time, you're gonna end up um you'll you'll end up seeing opportunities come through from that. You know, Jake, Jake Hall, I had Jake Hall on my podcast last year. And and all Jake, and, and one thing Jake does with his content is he takes people's YouTube videos from other like other companies' YouTube videos and repurposes it because they, they don't distribute it. And he shows them. Like he had one to show how condoms, how condoms were made, which was hilarious. I think he showed it for Valentine's Day. And like, and like he just took a company's video on YouTube for how they did that, repurposed it for himself, and then had a little caption on it, and then distributed it out organically to his company as a native file. So to me, it's all about it's all about content at the end of the day. Content is the lubricant that greases the wheel for everything else that you want to do. I don't care if you're running events, if you're running paid ads, if you're, I mean, whatever it is, like ultimately it's all about content. Content makes it all a lot easier for yourself. So I would just, you know, focus on the content for yourself and then how you're going to distribute it, whether you're going to do email ads, organic social, or, 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 or do it with live events. So another, oh, sorry, Brendan, do you have another question there? No, I just said that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Did that help, by the way, Luke? Sorry, I know I was a. That's very helpful. All right. Holding back, holding back one remark because HR might get me, but uh, okay, <laughs> good. All right. Industrial is a little bit chiller. Nope, not as much PR and and HR, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not. But uh, yeah, Matt, you also said that there's some uh, just some lessons you've learned as far as reporting goes. Um, yeah. So curious to hear a little bit more about that, um, things that you think folks on this call could really apply. Um, uh, so on reporting, like what like, like, what do you mean exactly? Did I, so you talked a little bit about just like, you know, looking back, like retrospectively at projects that you've done um, and really starting to, you know, analyze the data. Oh yeah. Yeah. So doing the performance assessment. Yeah. 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 So, so this is, this is going to be like hard for a lot of people here. Cause like, first off, I mean, if you, if you have a CRM at your company, raise your hand. I mean, I mean, how, how many people actually use a CRM here at their company, have a HubSpot or a Salesforce or even a Freshworks? Yeah. I, 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 I see, I see Julie doing this because I saw her question yesterday on Sack and Growth. <laughs> so if you don't have a CRM, this is going to be like impossible to do uh, pretty much, but, but like, one thing you could do programmatically is like, you know, look at the programs you all are running to do a revenue performance assessment for yourself. So if you have attribution, even if you have something like Salesforce campaigns, right, or you lead source or something like that. Um, one thing I'm learning and you know, talk about things that that SaaS, that SaaS doesn't do as well as industrial or, or they do the same poorly. Uh, attribution is definitely one of them. <laughs> I have one client who has uh, who has lead source as the... Uh, Lead sources like demo requests, Google ads, um, you know, their their yearly event. And it's like, guys, these are conversion paths and these are these are campaigns. Like these are completely different things and they need to be separated. So um doing the revenue performance assessment helps a lot. It's basically looking at things programmatically for yourself. Now you need to have like the skill in Excel in order to do this. So 
Like you need to run a report of all your leads and and basically look at it by lead source, then run a then run a, then run another report around opportunities, and again look at it by lead source, and then essentially use pivot tables to look at the number of opportunities tied to each lead source. Hopefully, and you should lump those together in the programs. So if you have lead sources that are like multiple trade shows you do a year, guess what? That's your that's your conference or events program, right? And so lump lump together things that fit. So like advertising stuff would be like that. If you want to break out um, like social by search, that's, that's, I think you should do that. If you're doing things like um, if, again, if you're doing events, if you're doing um, like anything with a partnership with like your dealer network and you're doing such like, you know, set, like going to those kinds of things, I know they have open houses and shit like that. Sorry for my language. Um, um, you could, you could also lump that in together as a, as kind of a program. And then look and see, okay, what opportunities did we get from this as a number? What was the what was the value of it? Okay, that okay, there's my pipeline. And then I can look at okay, what closed from these sources and then how many of those closed from the sources. So just look at for for people in industrial, you don't need to look at like stage one, stage two, stage three opportunities. Just look at how many leads that I get from this program, how many opportunities that I get from this program, how many actually close into revenue from this program. And then go back and look through your budget and go see what the spend is across all of those things. Again, if you can do that, talk to your talk to your VP of finance or something. Um, and then you're gonna see easily like what your most profitable channels are and which ones are not. And so for me, like when I did this at Benzel, you know, we spent $230,000, $240,000 at our major trade show every year. And we made about $40,000, dollars $60,000 a year from it. Um, and I would go back to my president every single year and say, this is not profitable. We need to rethink this, or we need to cut it back, or we need to get rid of it entirely. I could never actually get any of that done because we were, as an organization, and we were married to this show, but you know, me and my sales director even like fought this battle for years, wanting to completely retool how we did this. We wanted to scale the booth back significantly. We wanted to scale the number of people back significantly. We wanted to make it more about pipeline marketing for ourselves. So we wanted to essentially set up live demos, have people who are in active opportunities, and bring them in to do do live demos. Luke, you talk about having trouble to do to have do live demonstrations. Use your trade show to help facilitate that thing for yourself. And we just can never get this stuff over the hump, you know? So, um, so but that's kind of how I would look at things from a, from a program standpoint. It's going to tell you very clearly how to, um, it, it, like what, what programs are driving results for you and what you're not. It doesn't mean they ha you have to be like in the green on all of them, but you at least, if you see something where you're close to green or you're close to even, and you can say, hey, if we can focus on this and look at better process and like, and sort of like really dial in what we're doing here to make it better. Like we can get this in the green in a year, I think, you know? So I think like, that's how you got to look at looking at your programs and measuring them. And then just, if they're all in the black, if they're, if they're all in the, if they're all in the red, like that's not the end of the world. Okay. Just look at the ones where you're bleeding cash and getting so little out. Those are the things I think you need to be pretty ruthless about and cutting, especially when you know, they also take a lot of your time on top of taking a lot of your budget. Like the trade show for a lot of people takes a lot of time on top of budget. So you have to look at a time versus money um, like coefficient as well. I think the there's like an interesting thing with burnout too. So you have these like one, two person marketing teams doing like five, six, seven, 10 trade shows a year and they're getting burned out. I mean, if they're doing that, that's that's really all they should be doing. Like if you're doing five to seven shows a year, that should be just about the only thing you spend time on. You know, you're not going to really have because think about how much time it takes for you to do something well, you know, 
Right. Like, like how long does it take for you to do anything? Like, well, like if you if you like cooking, how long does it take for you to do cooking well? You know, if you want to do, if you want to, you know, learn to play baseball, how long does it take to play baseball well? You know, like all these things take a lot of time to get good at and master. And so if you're going to do five to seven shows a year, that really should be the only thing you spend time on, aside from maybe repurposing some of that into content. You probably should be shipping that out to an agency and just managing it, you know? So when you think about what you're spending a lot of time on, that should be what you focus on, as long as you can do it like reasonably profitably. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of how I would, how I look at that. I mean, trade shows are very time consuming. I've come on this, I've come on this web event as the host and railed against trade shows. Okay. (laughs) So you don't have, you don't have to, you don't have to get me started on that, but I do know for a lot of people in this, in this zoom, it's, it's, it's the biggest program and it's the biggest line item on your budget every single year. And for a lot of you, you have to do it. So really the, really the thing to be thinking about is, okay, if I have to do it, like, do I have to do it at this spend? Do I have to do it with this number of people? Do I have to do it with this boost space? Do I have to do it putting this much burden on myself? And if I have something financially that shows we don't have to do that, I can free my time up, free my stress up, and allow myself to pursue other programs that maybe would be more profitable for us. So we talked about this from the perspective of like, if you have a CRM and if you have like data, right. But there's also, and I, and I think that we've been seeing a lot of this with like kind of custom reporting that we've been building to at Gorilla, but just, um, you know, if you don't have the quantitative data, what do you recommend your next step be as far as, um, you know, understanding or like deciphering the more qualitative data that you can get through talking with other folks at the company? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So if you don't have qualitative data and you have to look quantitative, like you just you have to do your research, like just be be really prepared, you know, talk to customers if you can do that. If you go to trade shows, like talk to them and get a sense of like what where they spend their free time, what do they do online? You know, are they on TikTok or Instagram or Reddit or something like that? One thing that I like to do when I talk to people and I see them with their phone out is just kind of see what apps are on their homepage. And that's a really good thing to do as a survey question, right? You can go survey, you can survey your customers and just ask them like, hey, what are three apps that are on your what what are three apps that are on your 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 main phone screen? Um and, and you'll get a sense for like how they think, where they spend time, what they do. Um and then you know, just do do some do some audience building for yourself on some of these social platforms. Get a sense, get a sense of that. But if you don't have quali- qualitative data, you're gonna have to just take your best educated guess and make a bet programmatically. Like that's that's the best you can be expected to do, you know. And just to have like just just have the right. Um, just have the research ready. Like say, hey, I talked to five customers. I surveyed our entire customer base um, and I asked them these questions. That's what I did at Benzo because I didn't know anything about welders or welding engineers or production managers at the time. Um, and so I surveyed them all and said, hey, where do y'all spend time? Like, what are some what are some social media things you spend time on? Who do you listen to on YouTube or, or on Instagram? Like, do you like yeah. certain people? You know, and they would go like, yeah, Jody from Welding Tips and Tricks or something like that. Like, I got that quite a bit. So understand. And if, and if you know, like, okay, Jody from Welding Tips and Tricks, well, I know he's on YouTube and he's on Instagram and he has a podcast. So boom, all of a sudden, now I have a few channel ideas that I can, I can start to think about. So, you know, your best idea is quantitative 
qualitatively are going to come from your customers. You just need to put something in place to get that feedback loop for yourself. And starting with a survey is a good idea. It's, you know, a hundred bucks on SurveyMonkey to get that out for yourself. Um, don't ask too many questions, but certainly get information that's going to help you drive decision-making for yourself. And then again, use those trade shows, those conferences, those times you get to interact with customers and don't look at it and, and don't look at it as a chance to be like a sales admin, which is what I did my first year. Look at it as a chance to learn as much about your market as possible and understand like, okay, you're here once a year. What do you do with the other 364 days of the year? You know, <laughs> where are you spending time and learning about stuff? see a lot of nodding heads with that one. <laughs> can we change uh, directions here quick? Matt, can we talk about any um, experimental channels that you've, you've been dabbling in uh, now that you're at Refine? Well, I'm not doing this at Refine, but freelance. freelance okay. I'm doing TikTok ads, which I'm finding to be really fascinating. <laughs> the um, the It's clunky as an ad platform. Mm. It's hard to get attribution. Like the, the URL parameters, the DTM parameters are, are not very clean. Mm. Um, but, uh, and the targeting is very broad. So you kind of like, I mean, it's good enough, but you know, I'm not seeing things like come through the way, I, the way I really want to per se, but the vir the virality of it is great. Like the engagement's fantastic. Um, you know, the, the, the commenting is, is really good. So there's a lot of good things from an engagement and a brand awareness standpoint. Um, but I do think you should be judicious with your budget. For sure. Uh, I wouldn't pour a ton into it, especially when you have more proven channels like LinkedIn and Facebook to, sure. to look at for yourself and Google for that matter. Google's definitely super viable still in industrial. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I like TikTok and I, I think it's fun. Going back to what I said to Luke, though, your content is so freaking key. If you're going to mm -hmm. put boring content out there, you might as well not do TikTok. Sure. So. Um, and I also think Reddit is really interesting too. Yeah. The Reddit approach is... Is I mean I, I see a lot of stuff now where people are just like it's like bypassing Google and doing a Google search and searching for something and then putting Reddit at the end of the search so they get the Reddit so they get the subreddit instead of the the Google search result because Google Google search is being very gamed right now by AI and stuff like that at the moment it probably hasn't seeped into industrial yet but it's definitely happening in software um, and it's only a matter of time for that stuff finds itself into industrial in some way shape or form but. But yeah, so Reddit's another really interesting channel. Um, there's a lot around like, I mean, depending on if, if you're trade, trade oriented and there's like electricians or something like that yeah. or welding or, or, or like, machines. So yeah, I, I was looking at subreddits for a client and like electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, like a lot of those have really strong subreddit. Very strong subreddits. Yeah. yeah. So I like Reddit, not just as an organic and not as a paid channel. It's the, the, the metrics on Reddit are uh, very immature. You really only get like CPMs and clicks and CTR, but there's not a lot of like reach or frequency kind of metrics right now sure. that I've seen. Yeah. But um, so it's, it's a little bit pedestrian in that regard. But um, one thing that's cool about Reddit, a lot of closed audience, a very engaged organic group. Yeah. So if you want to get yourself in there with your SME and just, you know, try to do something programmatically to involve yourself there, you can't go there and pitch. You'll get, you'll get, uh, you'll get laughed out the room. But if you want to be a value add, if you want to be additive to that, that subreddit as a, as a resource, and if you want to slide in like, Hey, I work for a robotics, you know, uh, or for an automation company, here's how I would recommend doing that. You know, maybe they'll ask you, you know, uh, like what you guys do and who you do it for. Like, you know, use opportunities to slide in that you do that, but really lead with being helpful. So, but I do like Reddit quite a bit. 
I think Reddit's going to be a more popular channel mm. for smart industrial companies who are looking for experimental channels to, yeah. to do stuff on. Um, and I wouldn't, and I would look at it almost as the second most viable organic channel for you after LinkedIn um, in terms of social. Matt, what do the costs look like on TikTok and Reddit? TikTok's really cheap, $8 CPM. Mm. Reddit is, I don't remember offhand. I have my, the client I was doing Reddit as with, um, haven't done it in a little while, but okay. particularly guys, I can say it's $8 CPM and I've been doing, and I, and I, and that's off of over three grand in spent. So that's enough, that's enough to say it's pretty, pretty standard. So I think we're coming up on time, right, Peyton? I had yeah, one other question yeah. for you, Matt. Um, so what would you do if you were able to go back and be mad of 2016 and go back to Benzel and run marketing there, you know, w- with your experience from gorilla and now refine labs, what have you learned, you know, on the agency side that you would bring in house uh, to make marketing work better? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, you know, when I started in 2016 uh, at Benzel, I really only had a year of experience in marketing. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to, I was, I was very immature. Didn't really, know how to build a program, didn't really know how to build process behind things. I was very green on all the ad platforms, you know, all that stuff has changed, you know, six years, six years is a long time in your career when you kind of look back at it in the grand scheme of things, right? You get a lot better very quickly if you push yourself and get yourself in new environments where you're able to grow, um, which I, I think is, I think it's been super rewarding. So, I think I was really looking at HubSpot was like my main resource for for learning by myself and getting better. HubSpot was very SEO led at the time. So I was doing a lot of SEO like articles, um, a lot of content, looking at Google and YouTube as big channels for myself. And then I was taking about nine grand a month and like spreading it out between Facebook and LinkedIn ads, but I didn't really have a great plan. I was doing a lot of ebook downloads, a little bit on like the a little bit on the brand awareness side. Now I'm, I'm I'm much more on the brand awareness side and much less on the lead gen. Here's how I would do it differently today. So one thing I didn't recognize and I didn't know enough about was how my company thought they were going to grow mm. in a marketing arm of the company that I, I wasn't seeing the forest for the trees. And yeah. what I should have done is I should have gone to my president and my sales director and I should have asked more pointed questions like, okay, here's, here's, this isn't, here's not, not here's what I want to do in marketing, but here, how do I, how do we want to grow as a company this year? You know, what is our company's growth hypothesis? Like how, how do we plan on growing holistically, right? How's that going to happen? You know, and if I asked that question, the answer I would have gotten was we want to work more with our with our highest spending customers. And we really want to go after very large manufacturers of multiple locations. We want to go after John Deere. We want to go after Caterpillar. We want to be in every four tier one plant that we possibly can be in. You know, like we, we really want to go after people who are producing a lot and, and processing a lot of metal, welding a lot of metal. Right. Yeah. Cause for us that, cause we sold a premium product. And so they valued that a lot more than you know, SMB and even small mid-market manufacturers. So I would have taken that information knowing what I know now, and I would have said, okay, well, we're going to run a much more account-based strategy kind of centered around a lot of our... Um, uh, a, a lot of the companies that we want to land and expand with. So I would have been much more focused on sort of enterprise level companies. 
I would have understood targeting a lot better for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I was already right on the products. Like my hunch was right there. Fume and seam trackers and laser optics um, were, 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 all, were all the right moves. Those are all the high growth product SKUs for us. So I was, I was right on with that. But what I wasn't right with was who we wanted to sell those to. And I didn't understand our target market enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think for anyone here, you know, understand how your company wants to grow and who your target market is. And don't just don't don't just settle for, okay, we want people, we want production managers and we want weld engineers and we want, you know, machinists and stuff like that, manufacturing engineers, like, okay, like what do they make? How big are they? How many machines do they have? How many welding stations do they have? How many locations do they have across the US? You know, who who are who are their OEM suppliers or who are their tier one suppliers, you know, but kind of like, let's understand the market at large. And then instead of trying to like light the ocean on light the ocean on fire with, okay, let's do this big, long firmographic thing where we want this, 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 in terms of like these job titles, this company size, and this, this, and this really, I would be more focused because I have less budget. And I would say, okay, here's the 300 accounts I want to like my company wants to work with and I'm going to go after all 300 of these accounts and I'm going to basically go after anyone in engineering or manufacturing within this um, who maybe has this skill or or these sets of skills instead of specific job titles so I can basically create almost a halo around our efforts so I'm reaching them all the time not just with product but also selling them a little bit on the value of going to a more premium offering so mm-hmm. I would have taken a more ABM approach I would have leveled up a little bit on my narrative and my point of view. And then I would have gone down a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of product features and benefits. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, makes sense. And, and thank you so much for coming on to IML today. We just absolutely uh, love that we're able to bring you back on as uh, now a guest to a show that you helped start and a community that you helped grow from the very beginning. So thank you for that. Um, and uh yeah, I guess like just to to end today, um, want to just give Mary, Brendan, and, and Matt. I know we didn't pull out little nuggets, but is there anything that you want to make sure that folks take from this conversation and bring out into their their industrial worlds, <laughs> um, an action that they should uh, follow up on following this conversation? Yeah, I definitely second Matt's um, talk to leadership and find out what your business goals are for the year and how you expect your company to reach those business goals or how you expect to grow. Like, I think I took the mentality when I was in-house that I could just do it all myself and figure it out all for myself. And if you don't have leadership buy-in, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, that was huge. And then I think for me, it was try to figure out a way to measure your programs. And it doesn't have to be like a crazy measurement. But like, you know, just look at leads and opportunities and revenue and do the analysis and see what is green and what is red and double down or cut programs if you need to. Awesome. Well, Matt, again, thank you. Uh, If you enjoy this conversation today, um, be sure that you're listening to the manufacturing marketer. Uh, Matt already agreed to come on to uh, the show to dive a little bit deeper into certain topics. So if there's something you want to hear um, Matt, Brendan, and Mary talk about more, uh, throw it in the chat and uh, or you know hit us up in Slack. If you'd like to be in the Industrial Marketing Live Slack community, just uh, put a little thumbs up or uh, add me in the chat today or reach out to any of us on LinkedIn, email, whatever uh, floats your boat. We'll get you added. And um, yeah, we're super excited. Uh, 
soon we'll be having an announcement about our topics for Q1 in 2023 and some uh, exciting changes um, coming for, uh, you know, not changes, updates, improvements uh, for the Slack channel um, as well. So anyway, thank you all. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me. Appreciate it. Good luck out there. I'm rooting for all of you. All right, everyone. Have a good Thursday. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.